Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Diana Hill. Diana is a clinical psychologist, international trainer, and sought-out speaker on acceptance and commitment therapy and compassion. Diana has a knack for unpacking complex science-based concepts and making them applicable to work, parenting, relationships, and health. In the episode, Diana discusses the importance of psychological flexibility, how to become more psychologically flexible, how to deal with tough emotions, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Enjoy the episode. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Good to be here. We are crossing our fingers that audio is going to (laughs) be on our side. We don't know what's going on right now with technology, but we'll figure it out. Always something, right? You never know. It's it's great to connect with people across the world and across the state in our case, but you never know when technology is going to be on your side. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. We've had some difficulties, but I would love if you could start off by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become a psychologist. Oh, that's a long, that's a long story. (laughs) I mean, you know, there's this, there's the answer that you give when you're interviewing for a position or interviewing for graduate school, why do you want to be a psychologist? But, and then there's the real answer. And some people say, you know, research is research, but I often will say my mess is my message more Mm -hmm. uh, realistically for me. I I came to uh, psychology through my own um, struggle with an eating disorder, I had pretty severe anorexia that turned into bulimia and binge eating in my, um, you know, teens and and as a young adult. And as many um, folks do, they say, okay, I want to go help others. And it was really a, a, a twisty, windy journey. I was really interested also in biological underpinnings of uh, mental health. So I was pre-med and then decided to become a psychologist because I wanted to spend a lot of time with people. And, uh, but I still take a stance that's a biopsychosocial stance to working with the folks that I work with. And along the way, I became really interested in mindfulness and acceptance-based approaches uh, and now practice something called ACT, acceptance mm. and commitment training or acceptance and commitment therapy, and use that both in my individual practice, but I train uh, psychologists as well in ACT and work a lot with organizations and I have my own podcast where I talk about um, this intersection of behavioral science, acceptance-based interventions, and uh, also just sort of the soul of recovery. And uh, we're all sort of on our own messy journey. 
right? When it yeah. comes to eating and health and exercise and all of that. Wow. Yeah. So acceptance and commitment therapy, which you abbreviated or the abbreviation is ACT. I've never heard of this. And so I'm excited to learn all about it. How is this different from other therapeutic approaches? And I guess, what is it? Yeah. Well, you haven't heard of it, but now you're going to start hearing it. It's like when you're uh, pregnant yeah, for sure. and, and all you see is pregnant people because you know <laughs> that you're pregnant. Uh, it's, it's getting actually quite into the mainstream and it's being used um, in hospital settings. It's one of the primary interventions they use in the VA. Uh, but ACT is a, it's a cognitive behavioral approach. So people that have heard of CBT as the evidence-based approach to a number of different things, ACT is considered a cognitive behavioral approach. But it's newer in the sense that it its goal isn't necessarily, um, as Steve Haynes, the founder of ACT says, it's not necessarily to make you feel better. It's to help you get better at feeling. It's mm-hmm. to help you become more psychologically flexible, to help you be able to um, navigate the inevitable changes and challenges that and discomfort that shows up in your life. And when you're talking about health, you're going to be uncomfortable from time to time, right? To, to choose healthy behavior sometimes means waking up early in the morning so you can get out on your walk, or maybe sometimes it means riding the wave of a craving. And so ACT is really about skills to help you navigate the discomfort of living, the discomfort of choosing your values, and also the vitality that comes from that. So as opposed to cognitive behavioral um, approaches or older approaches that had a lot to do with like reducing symptoms or um, changing your thoughts, ACT has more of an acceptance-based approach and more of a values-based approach of how do you identify what's important to you, how you want to be in the world, and then how do you navigate the discomfort that shows up when you choose that path? Because there is going to be, um, there's going to be challenges and psychological flexibility skills help you with those challenges. Okay. Interesting. Can, so who is it best for? Is it for certain types of people? Is it for everyone? Is there anyone that act isn't the right fit for? Yeah. So one test is you can take your hand and then you can put it over your heart. So you can do it with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> and if you feel something beating in there, <laughs> then it's good for you. Okay. So the reason being is that ACT is based on core processes of human flourishing. There's been over, uh, you know, four decades of research into ACT, over a thousand randomized controlled trials. And the randomized controlled trials of this approach to psychological flexibility are on everything from working, you know, parents, how more psychologically flexible parents during COVID had less spillover effects of the stress of COVID onto their friends, I mean, onto their onto their kids. It's been done with chess players. More psychologically flexible chess players have higher performance at their game. It's been used with uh, severe anxiety disorders. If you can develop psychological flexibility and you have something like agoraphobia, you may have a better chance of getting out into your life and into the world. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to health behaviors, ACT has been researched with things like insomnia, uh, folks that uh, chronic pain, it's one of the primary interventions uh, that's recommended for, by the World Health Organization for chronic pain uh, over and above uh, medicines for chronic pain because it actually enhances your quality of life. Folks that practice ACT are um, going to be uh, more functioning in, even with the chronic pain. It's been used with uh, weight 
um, loss and, you know, sort of addressing some of the challenges of changing your eating with exercise, all sorts of things. And the reason being is that what ACT does, what it teaches you are skills of how to be a human in this world, how to accept and what, what does it mean to actually accept discomfort as it shows up, how to choose a values-based direction, how to persist and adapt as, as challenges arise, how to step out of your, your thoughts when your thoughts are kind of pushing you around and sending you in directions that aren't helpful, and how to even challenge your, your self-concept, your sense of self as being this like, I am this, I am not that, how to get more flexible with your sense of self, uh, and then taking committed action towards your goals while staying in the present moment in the here and now. And these are processes that are processes that support um, healthy change and adaptation. And so therefore, they can be used for everything from smoking sensation to uh, depression and has been shown to be pretty effective. What exactly does that mean? That So you kind of described the accept, acceptance and commitment piece of it. I guess, why is it called acceptance? and commitment therapy? Uh, well, maybe you'd have to ask the, uh, the founders of that. <laughs> okay. So I want to say that it's not, this is not a protocol that I developed, right? right so right. this was developed by Kirk Strassel, Kelly Wilson, Stephen Hayes 40 years ago. And since then has been researched by thousands of researchers, hundreds of researchers have been looking at it, you know, people at Duke University, people at Stanford, people all over the place are looking at this intervention. My guess is that they call it acceptance and commitment uh, because ACT balances acceptance and change. Okay. So in order to change any behavior, we have to both have the ability to see what, what's happening in the present moment. So um, be able to be here now, actually have awareness of that, you know, sort of mindfulness is a component of ACT, awareness of what's happening for you, what's not working for you. And then also acceptance of the, um, an openness to what the reality of, of what you're facing. So um, for example, uh, one of the things that happens for us in the summertime is we get, we're really big believers in the, um, having family di dinner. Okay. And then on the weekends, we'll watch a show and do something special and like eat in front of the TV, which is like super special for my, for my kids. Right. Summertime, there's less distinction between what's the weekend and what's the what's not the weekend, right? Mm -hmm. And summertime, we're eating a little bit later and mom and dad might be a little bit more tired because we have our kids home all the time. And so there's a slippery, slippery slope to like, we're eating in front of the TV way more than we want to be eating in front of the TV, right? So just last night I was thinking, okay, I know all of the research on eating as a family at the dinner table predicts all sorts of benefits, health benefits, and also family cohesion and all sorts of stuff. And I had to face the discomfort. I had to accept the reality of we're eating in front of the TV way more than we want to be. Mm -hmm. I have to also kind of get aligned with where are my values around this? What is important to me? And not only like the discomfort of the here and now, but looking in the long term, what, what do I want for my kids down the road in terms of some of these habits I want them to develop, right? That they will learn by eating at the table together mm -hmm. and their memories of their childhood. I want them to have memories of their childhood having family dinners. So I'm looking at my values. I'm accepting also the discomfort of I kind of just want to go laze out in front of the TV. Yeah. <laughs> I'm easier. Yeah. 
you know, when you have to eat at the table, you have to like get your kid to sit in the chair and stay there and, you know, like set the table, all these things. Right. And so it was a little uncomfortable to choose this change. And then there's a commitment, right? There's a commitment to it. We want to do this again. Let, let's make this, a, let's make this a reg back to our regular commitment of during the week, we eat at the table and on the weekends we get flexible with it. So that's an example of acceptance and commitment. And I could even break down even further the six core processes that I'm using there and how, how I did that. Like, how did I know what my values are or how did I accept? What does it look like to accept? And um, how do we keep commitments for ourselves? Are they rigid commitments or are they flexible commitments? And, and self-compassion along the way that we all have slippery slopes in our health behaviors. Mm-hmm. That's just part of the nature of all of us and the nature of our sort of evolved brain is that we'll always want to choose the easier, softer path. Mm-hmm. So acceptance commitment helps you sometimes choose the less easy, soft path because you're committing to your values, the life that you want to build for yourself and your right. people around you that you care about. I love the word commitment. I talk about this a lot with clients commitment versus motivation, because I think especially in the health space, a lot of people think they should feel motivated and they should feel like they want to do something. But the example you just described, you don't necessarily feel motivated to bring dinner back to the table. That's not why you're doing it. It's because you're thinking of your values and what you actually want for your family. And then you're making that commitment. So in no space there, did you talk about motivation? So can you touch on that a bit of why commitment is more important to focus on than kind of waiting for motivation to strike? Yeah, well, I have a sort of a somewhat nuanced take on motivation. Um, I actually see our values as being the motivators and our values being intrinsic motivators. And a lot of what's talked about in, um, you know, out there in the world is extrinsic motivators. So extrinsic motivators are, is my weight changing on a scale? Or can I run, you know, at a faster pace than how I ran two weeks ago? Intrinsic motivators are the motivators that are about how you want to be in the world. And what like, like deep in your heart, what do you hope for, for yourself? And deep in your heart, like, how, how, how do you want to show up for your family or how do you want to show up in the workplace or how do you want to show up for your body? And it has sort of like a um, sort of more of a grounded quality to it and less, less dependent on some external variable that if that external variable changes, like what, what if you get on the scale and you haven't lost weight, then do you give up all of the behaviors that you're doing mm-hmm. or, or is there another reason why you're doing those things that, aren't, that isn't just about a number that can change based on like how much salt you ate and where you are in your menstrual cycle. Right. <laughs> like, um, and so, so I think of, you know, the commitment for me is the commitment to my values and the, that values are personal and they're chosen. Just like if your favorite color is pink and mine is yellow, pink is not better than yellow. That it's, it's, it's something deep inside about how you want to be. And they're, they're like adverbs, they're qualities that you bring to, to the many different domains of your life. And so for me, that is like a, it's like a steady commitment, knowing that as long as I'm committing to my values, what it may look like externally may look different sometimes. So for example, with the family dinner, some of the values that I would glean from that is that 
I value family time together. I also value instilling patterns for my children to take into their future. Cause I know that some of the patterns that I have now are from my parents, <laughs> you know, positive and negative ones. Right. And, um, and then, so I value this sort of like the, the gift of parenting to my children to, to have, to offer them a path. Right. And then I also, uh, really value our families, um, like, uh, offering, um, how'd I say this? Like, uh, quality time together, you know? So that quality time together can look different. It doesn't have to always be at a dinner table. It could be in other places as well. So our, so our values, I guess, are a little bit more fluid, mm. um, and more intrinsic. Mm-hmm. I want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. I'd love to go back to the idea of psychological flexibility because I think Mm -hmm. that's really fascinating. A lot of people listening to this podcast do have some type of body composition goal or strength goal or nutrition goal. So kind of in that lens, what would it look like to be on a health, weight loss, fitness journey and not be psychologically flexible versus to use these principles and become more psychologically flexible. Yeah. And so psychological flexibility, um, I guess would, would sort of be like, I'm, I'm pointing myself North, okay. you know, and, um, the, the sort of health goal or the weight loss goal or the body composition goal would be the mountain that I'm going to climb as I point North. <laughs> Right. And then psychological flexibility would be, okay, well, what if like a river shows up, like I get injured and I have to take another, another path towards that, you know, towards that mountain. Right. Because it's not always going to be a straight shot. Mm -hmm. Right. And inflexibility is, oh, a river showed up on my trail, on my trail pointing North to climb this mountain. So therefore I'm just going to stop. I can't do this. I'm done. So psychological inflexibility is when we get faced, we, there's, a, there's an obstacle that shows up and we are unable to adapt. We don't, we don't change our behavior. Like we don't do something different, you know, oh gosh, I um, injured my foot. Therefore I can't walk anymore. Therefore I'm just done versus why don't I try a, like swimming? I've never tried that before. Or, or what would it be like if I, you know, took up rowing that there's, there's lots of different ways in which you can continue this path North 
and, and kind of aim for that mountain, even if obstacles show up. Psychological flexibility is also when we believe our thoughts to be true. And what we know is that oftentimes when we're trying something new or doing something hard, our mind is the least helpful thing in the world. <laughs> it says all sorts of things about how you're a loser, how you look terrible, uh, it reminds you of all the other times that you failed, and it criticizes and points out faults. So psychological inflexibility is to listen to that mind and follow it, follow its rules, as opposed to being able to diffuse from your thoughts, kind of create a little space from your thoughts and choose the actions that are most helpful to you, or maybe even have a little self-compassionate perspective mm. in there. And then psychological inflexibility is also when we are so fixated on the top of that mountain that we're trying to get to, the future, that we don't see the beauty of the trees and the path that we are on. Because part of being psychologically flexible is seeing right here, right now, this is the life that you are in. And if you're so fixated on some composition goal that you're trying to get to, and you're not enjoying how it feels to be in this, in this body, in this moment, in this life, you will miss out on a big portion of your life. Because for some people, it's going to take a long time to get there, mm -hmm. right? And, and your life is here and now. So there is an aspect of being present, enjoying the process of it seeing the the changes that are happening that maybe aren't physical markers but there's other markers of change that that you are that you are developing along the way maybe you're learning how to cook maybe you're making new friends because you're taking a class a movement class an exercise class maybe you're bonding more with your partner because you're going for walks together these are, are all of the things that are in the here and now that you can enjoy and you can take in and when we're overly focused on some future goal, we miss out on that. Mm. So it's also about being in the present. I love that term so much. I just, I can't stop thinking about it. It's, I feel like I've, I've thought about this idea before and I work with so many clients and we talk about challenges and obstacles along the way and how are we going to pivot, but I've never had a term for it. So yeah. it's cool. Now it's kind of all synthesizing together in my brain. Um, what would psychological flexibility look like in something like parenting? like a parent who has adopted these principles versus somebody who hasn't? Uh, yeah, well, psychological flexibility will help you a lot in parenting because if there's one thing that um, is unpredictable is kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, there, and there's constant, uh, it's just constant change. And we all have a feeling, I mean, if you become a parent for the most part, you have a feeling of like there's something that matters to you in this. There's something that's meaningful about it. There's ways in which you want to show up for your kids. And a classic example is just, you know, I, it was different when my kids were babies versus toddlers. And now they're, a, you know, a teenager and an emerging teenager. It, you know, example, when they're at this age is they're bickering in the back of the car. And I'm driving them all over the place. And remembering that Part of my values in, in parenting is, is to teach them how to uh, resolve conflict. And so if I'm turning around and yelling at them in the back of the car, because I'm, I'm regulating my own nervous system that's pretty distressed at the sound of them fighting, 
then I'm not following that value of, of showing them conflict resolution. So psychological flexibility in that moment may be identifying with my own values around, I want to, I want to show my kids how to, how to be conflict, how to resolve conflicts better. And the only way I'm going to do that is if I come at it from a calm space. And the first step is just noticing my own nervous system and helping my own nervous system out Mm -hmm. and getting present and remembering that and pausing. And then maybe I'm saying, Hey kids, (laughs) you know, (laughs) saying something in the back of the car, or maybe not, maybe that's all I do. And even in just doing that, my kids may, may get the benefit of, of having a mom, a calm mom. Right. So it's about knowing your values, how you want to be as a parent. If someone were videotaping you throughout the day and you would be like, ah, not the parent that I want to be. Ooh, yeah, that's the parent I want to be. Uh, again, not the parent that I want to be. Then you start to identify, okay, what is the type parent that I want to be? It's about getting present in parenting. So much of our, our parenting experience, I, I had my, um, my older son said to me the other day, he was like, I said, awesome. Well, he was telling me a story. And he was like, I hate it when you say awesome, mom. And I said, why? And he said, because I can tell you're not paying attention. Mm. And he was so right. I wasn't. I was in my own head letting him tell me the story that I wasn't super interested in. I'm very interested in my kid. Mm -hmm. I'm less interested in the magic game that he's playing. Right. And so I have to remember, oh, get interested in my kid again. Like, is there something I can get interested in here and get present with him? because they know, they know when they're little that you're not present with them. And so getting present with our kids is part of psychological flexibility. Um, Part of psychological flexibility, like mentioned, like knowing your values and acting from your values. And psychological flexibility is also accepting that a meaningful life, a meaning being, having a meaningful life means that you're going to experience pain. And I don't know if there's anything more painful I've ever experienced in my life than being a parent. Because the more you love something, <laughs> the more that you open your heart to something, the more that you're going to experience pain. There's going to be loss. Their pain is your pain. They every From the day that they're born and they cut that umbilical cord, if you had them biologically or they're placed in your arms or whatever time you receive your child, from that point on, they are stepping away from you. And that is a painful process, right? So accepting and opening to that and knowing how to, to deal with that is part of psychological flexibility. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes what we do is we shut down or we close off or we, you know, distract ourselves from the pain of being a parent. You've mentioned values multiple times. Is this something that you sit down at some point and let's say you have a health goal before you even start on that, do you kind of write out your values around this? Or with parenting, you've mentioned your values. Is this something you have kind of written out? Or is it just kind of in your mind, you know what you value? How do people approach that piece of this? Yeah, well, everybody learns differently, right? So um, I have a book called Act Daily Journal, which has a lot of writing in it, where it's um, it takes the six core processes of ACT and breaks it down into weeks. And there's a week on values. So every day, there's like a, a, some journaling prompts that ask you about um, your values and what matters to you, how you want to be, what do you want your life motto to be? Uh, if you know, what was an example of you living out your values today? What example of you not living out your values? And for some people, writing is great. I've also had clients that are like, do not make me journal. (laughs) Get that thing away from me. Yeah. So for some clients, I may, I may give them like a, like a, a sticky note 
And I'll be like, okay, so let's look at the domain of your health. And in this domain of your health, I want you to tell me what's important to you and how you want to show up in the domain of health, in your relationship to food, in your relationship to movement, in your relationship to other elements of health, right? Going to the doctor, things that you do to care for your health. When you imagine you at your best and you're really caring for your health, what would that look, look like? And write it down in a few sentences on the sticky note. Or just tell it to me. Maybe you don't want to write. Just tell it to me. And then I'll say something like, okay, now here we are. We have, a, you know, the floor between us in my office. Take this sticky note. And if you were completely aligned with your values, it was right next to you, you'd stick it on your chest. And if you feel really far away from your values, it would be all the way across the carpet. Where would you be right now? And then they walk. So this is physicalizing it and they put that sticky note there. And then I say, okay, go back to your seat, take a look at your values, where you want to be, take a look at where you are right now. And what would be the first tiny move, behavioral move that you would need to take to get one step closer? And everyone is going to be different in that. Like for some people, they're like, I just need to schedule my dentist appointment. I've been putting it off. I've always been too busy. It's like been three years now. I haven't gone to the dentist. Really, like the next move would be like calling the dentist. Okay, we, we literally in the office, will call the dentist together. <laughs> Let's do it right here, right now. For somebody else, it may be something totally different. Like I just need to get to the grocery store. I haven't gone. I don't have the foods in my house that I need to, that I know are like really helpful for me to have. I've prioritized everything else. Okay, so let's plan that out. When are you going to go to the grocery store? And and that that it's that small, mm -hmm. right? How we get from point A to point B is not by flying. Right. <laughs> we get there by taking steps. Yeah. And so um, it it is helpful for folks to identify what their values are because they need to know where they want to like where they want to be, but also what it would look like to live those values out right here and right now to get closer to where you want to be. Mm. It's both and. You've also mentioned several times kind of difficult emotions and experiences and then acceptance of those. And so I feel like acceptance is next level because just feeling the difficult emotions and sitting with those is hard for most of us. And then the next level seems to be accepting those. Can you kind of describe that process? Again, from a health lens, I deal with this a lot with clients who do turn to food to kind of mute an emotion and they don't sit with the emotion and just kind of feel it and accept it. So what would that look like in, in practice rather yeah. than in theory of, you know, feeling the thing and accepting the thing? And I, I don't know, moving on. What, it, what does that look like? Yeah. So first I want to say acceptance isn't the best word for everybody. Okay. Uh, some people, the word acceptance, especially when it's put paired with the word just, <laughs> feels really invalidating. Like just accept that you're going to have some cravings. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, no, I don't want to just accept. Yeah. So sometimes I'll first just explore and listeners can listen to some of these words, which words land for you. If you're thinking about you're coming home from work, you want to eat because you're stressed and you're having strong cravings to eat. If I were to say some of these words, which ones land for you? Can you open up to the craving? Can you make space for it in your body? Are you willing to have this feeling? Uh, can you breathe in and out with the feeling? 
Can you allow it to be there without acting on it? These are other words for acceptance. And when we start to accept our inner experiences, a miracle happens. They lose that charge to them. You live in Northern California. I live in Southern, Southern California. And one difference between the two of us is that people get in the water down here. <laughs> So uh, my son, both my, my older son is a surfer. And I love the example of surfing a wave because oftentimes all of our inner experiences are very much like waves. They go up, 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 up. And it's usually at that point when it's at that like extreme level where we feel like we can't handle it anymore, that we jump off, we give in right? I can't handle this because we think it's going to go on forever. Mm. But what you learn with acceptance of, can I allow this to be here without acting on it is that it will come back down, whether that's a feeling of anxiety or it's a feeling of loneliness or it's a feeling of stress. So first we need to just be able to make, make room for it to be there and not just spend all of our time trying to get rid of these feelings because there's so many, so many of our problems in life come from our attempts to try and get rid of bad feelings. Mm. So whether it's our drinking problem, or it's our procrastination problem, or it's our eating problem, or it's our, you know, not moving our bodies, you know, because it, all of those are like, they have bad feelings associated with it. When we practice acceptance, we can accept with our body in the way that I just described, where you could notice within your body, can you open up? Can you allow? Can you make space for sort of like if you were to hold your hand in a fist and you're holding the thing that you really, really don't like, if you were to turn, turn your hand over and open it up as an open palm, it's easier to hold. Hmm. And then we can also accept with our minds by just saying yes to what is. Here it is again. Yes, this is the experience that I'm having right now. I can name it. We know that naming emotions helps regulate emotions. Um, I'm having the feeling of anxiety or I'm noticing a craving for, that gives a little distance for it. And then we accept with our behavior, which is really about like choosing to decouple our behavior from our emotions. And that that's a hard decoupling, but we, we actually can do it. Like you can have the emotion of anger and not write an angry text, right? Yeah. You can have the emotion of anxiety and still go to the event. You can have the emotion of depression and still get up and take a shower and put clothes on. And when we learn that we can decouple what we're feeling from what we do, then we are empowered to do a lot of things. It doesn't mean that we say that anxiety is wrong or that depression is, you know, not that we invalidate ourselves, is that sometimes we actually need to behave in a different way than what our emotions are telling us to do or what our cravings tell us to do. Hmm. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. 
To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. Is stress management then kind of counter to this? Because as you're describing this, it's kind of you sit with the stress. You don't try to manage the stress because maybe managing it is kind of getting rid of it or distracting yourself from it and not yeah. dealing with that feeling. Is that, yeah. is that true? Or is that, is it good um, to try kind of stress management tactics? Yeah, it depends on what the, even the word sitting with it feels a little bit like that sounds torturous. Just yeah. sit with it. <laughs> I Just sit with your anxiety. I, actually, I don't think that's a great idea. You know, a great thing for anxiety is to get up and go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, a great thing uh, for depression is to go up and take a walk. (laughs) So I actually, I'm not a big fan of just, just like sit and bear it. It's more, can you carry it with you as you do the things that you know are beneficial to help you with your stress? Mm-hmm. But the focus of the stress management isn't I'm trying to get rid of stress. So I'm just focusing all my energy on trying to get rid of stress, which can be stressful. It's about what is the life that you want to build? And, and we do know that stress changes your nervous system and makes you feel more narrowed in your focus and is not super helpful for cortisol levels and is not super helpful for your hormone profile and is not super helpful for all sorts of things, your sleep. I mean, this is all biopsychosocial modeling, right? It's that you can find a way to choose, quote, stress management strategies that are also aligned with, with your values and that aren't just about managing stress. So for example, if you're taking that walk that helps manage your stress and also helps you with your anxiety, maybe you're also taking that walk. You know, I've been really into, I like to run, but I've been really into, as your kids get older, in the beginning, you're running after them because they're like toddlers and stuff or you're dragging them along. But now like they're on bikes and I like, you know, they take them for a bike ride and I run while they bike. And it's meeting so many of my values at once, right? It's not about I'm trying to manage my stress now by going for a run. It's like I'm building the life that I want to build by going for a run. I get to be outside. I get to be with my kids. I'm playful. I'm taking care of my body. You know, I come back in a better mood. And those that's more about sort of psychological flexibility. And there's always a part of me before I go, which is like, oh, this is hard. I don't know if I want to do this. Or I have to, you know, get my kids out the door, which can be challenging. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good question. about. It's actually one of the higher level act questions, because a lot of people ask about like, well, is self-soothing not act then if you're practicing self-soothing? And in act, we always say in the service of what? In, in the service of your values, then yeah, it's act in the service of the life you want to build. Yeah. So I was going to say, let's go back again to the craving issue, because I think that's a mm-hmm. lot of, that's something a lot of people struggle with, kind of emotional eating or binge eating, whatever they you yeah. know, label it as themselves. So in that moment, let's say you get home, you're super stressed, your habit is just kind of to turn to food, just without kind of thinking about other options. And Mm -hmm. you go to food to kind of deal with or handle, you know, I'm using that in air quotes, the stress. So that then seems like turning to food isn't the action that's really aligned with your values. So is it choosing an action that's going to help you hold the stress that's aligned with your values? Yeah. And I would say the first step is to notice that. Mm-hmm. So anytime we're caught in a habit, we're in, we're on automatic pilot, 
Right. So we know that, uh, you know, mindfulness and being able to be present and catch ourselves is like central to behavior change, right? So if you know ahead of time that your pat- pattern is this, I go home, like my, my, the time when I tend to eat is when I get home from work or the time when I tend to eat is right before bed, you know, then, then you start to, to map out what's happening for you there. So I get home is point A, then I feel stressed, which is the cue, or maybe it's I feel tired because it's bedtime, which is the cue. Mm-hmm. And then the behavior is um, I, I eat and then I feel better short term, right? Or I, I don't feel as tired or I take care of that. That tired feeling kind of changes a little mm-hmm. bit because now I'm eating while I'm tired, right? So you first just notice that that's a pattern. And, and then when you walk in the door, or when you're, if you're having this happen at night, you pause and you can go inside and you can say like, what am I feeling? Like, what am I feeling right now? What, what am I really feeling? And then what do I need? Like, what do I really need? Mm-hmm. Because what you really need probably isn't in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. or in the refrigerator. And we've all done that cupboard surfing where we're like opening the cupboards <laughs> at five o'clock at night, looking for the friend <laughs> or looking for some love yeah. or looking for some fun or whatever it is we're looking or looking for some validation. Tell me that I'm doing a good job at all the things I'm doing, right? It's probably not in the cupboard. And, but it does take some mindfulness to check in. What do I want? What, what am I feeling? What do I need? What's important to me? And then what will my future self say? Mm. Because that perspective taking, when we can shift out of just the here and now into like my tomorrow self, when I wake up in the morning, what because I know she had some good ideas this morning yeah. about this. <laughs> she was brilliant. I just forgot. Yeah. So what would she say? You know, or what would Brooke say? If, if you if you don't have that wise inner self and but you're listening to this podcast and you rely on Brooke for some wisdom, what would Brooke say to me about this moment? And and then you then you draw that in, and then you're willing to try. Am I willing to feel a little bit uncomfortable to try something new? And you try it. Sometimes I'll, I like the um, you can promise 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 yourself that you can eat after you try something new. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and and so you're just increasing variability. And we know from evolution, there's, there's three steps to evolution, just from evolution of animals, which is variation. You need variability. You need lots of Darwin's different beaks to choose which beak worked on which Island. If you know the the Darwin's Darwinian um, evolution, you need variation, you need selection, you need to choose the thing that works and then you need retention, you need to keep it going. So if you're just working on variation of trying something different, when you walk in the door, that is a success. Um, then maybe tomorrow, if, it, if that didn't work, then you try something different when you walk in the door, you're breaking up that habit loop. Mm. So those are the questions I would ask yourself. It's like, pause, what am I feeling? What do I need? What would my future self or the wiser version of me tell me right now? Mm. And you may find that you you do something maybe different. And it's not about good or bad. It's just about, wow, I did something different. That's pretty cool. That's pretty successful. I think sometimes some of my clients, I feel like they should be wearing like tiaras and gold medals for like not grabbing the, you know, whatever it is they usually grab Mm -hmm. and not, you know, people don't know how hard it's just really hard. Yeah. I love what you just said, where you try something else first and then you can always go to the food. I think that's Mm -hmm. so helpful just mentally. 
to know, because if you tell yourself, I can't eat, I can't eat, I can't eat, like anything you tell yourself you can't do feels kind of icky. (laughs) Well, it also doesn't work. So don't think about, don't think about your big toes. Mm, Right. Whatever you do, do not feel any sensation in your big toes. I don't want you to notice anything. Just get rid of it now. Okay. Now you're thinking about your big toes. I want you to actually stop. Will yourself. You can't. can't. The nature of as soon as, and this is part of the foundation of act, which is um, language, which is as soon as you tell yourself not to do something, there's another part of your brain that just heard, heard do something. Right. <laughs> you know, it's going to, it's going to counter it. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it's like, make space for your, the feelings in your big toes, but don't let your big toes run the show. Because yeah. <laughs> if you're only focused on your big toes, you're not going to get very far in life. Like, so that's sort of like that flexibility with your thoughts or flexibility um, as uh, developing this observer self and, and just, yeah, having fun and be flexible with it. And you're more likely to get where you want to go. And the research supports this. Mm. So there, there's all sorts of fun studies where they, um, there's a fun study, the donut study by um, Brines and Chen, where they had restrictive eaters come into um, a lab and they, they had them in the waiting room. And this is part of the study, but Okay, never, if you go into a research study, never trust what's happening in the waiting room. Don't think it's not part of the study. <laughs> For sure. Be very skeptical, yeah. You're in the study once you're in the waiting room. But so in the waiting room, they said, here, eat this donut. You have a choice between a glazed donut or a chocolate-covered donut, you know. So these restrictive eaters ate the donut. And they're like, but this study is about uh, ratings of candy. Which candy do you think tastes best? After the restrictive eaters had the donut, they either had no intervention or they had an intervention of, you know, everybody eats donuts sometimes. It's not that big of a deal. Be kind to yourself. It's understandable that you, you know, everyone in the study is eating a donut and just, you know, be gentle with yourself. It's all right. Then they went into the research, the research study where they had three bowls to choose from. And they were very specific. If you actually read the study, it was like Reese's Buttercups, <laughs> um, York Peppermint Patties. And um, there was one more like fruity one. They wanted to cover all the flavors, right? right? And so then they, they had had them be like, okay, now rate these candies, which ones are the best? And they had free, free supply, like unlimited supply, right? For those that got the self-compassion intervention, the ones that were told, everyone eats donuts sometime, blah, 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 blah. They ate less candy in that intervention than folks that were told nothing. Mm. Actually telling yourself, like, it's all right. Like, and remember what your values are. You're going to end up getting back on back on track, back on course, have less of that disinhibited kind of eating than you would if you were like, okay, got to like follow the rules. Oh, no, I ate a donut and I blew it now. Might as well eat all the candy in the study because the day is over. Mm-hmm. There, there's a good amount of research around self-compassion, around psychological flexibility, and our ability to stay true to those mountains that we want to climb. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But sometimes the rivers are going to get in the way. Someone's going to give you a donut. Yeah. <laughs> it, it might be really good. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Yeah, well, I think I've kind of described it. I think it means to be flexible. Um, a concept that I'm exploring a lot on my podcast is wise effort. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's a combination of wisdom. And, and wisdom from a psychological perspective is having humility, 
learning from your past experiences and also the wisdom of, um, of folks that have walked in front of you, the research mm-hmm. and the experience of others. And then inner wisdom, being able to listen inside to your own, your own self. And then effort is discovering how to dial up and down your effort so that you put effort into things that matter to you. You put effort into things that feed you back energy. And then you also take time to restore and rest and let your body like be rejuvenated. Low effort activities that you savor because they're just good to have in your life. So that wise effort to me is, is really about at least how I like to invest in my health and my family's health and how I hope my clients invest in their health as well. Another new term that I love, wise effort. So many, (laughs) so many great ones coming from this podcast. Where can listeners follow and find you? I teach on Instagram uh, at Dr. Diana Hill. And I also have a lot on my website, drdianahill.com. I have meditations on Insight Timer that are free. And then my podcast, Your Life in Process, is super fun. It definitely has a contemplative um, practice bent to it. So I I bring in, you know, yoga and mindfulness and monks from time to time and then researchers as well. So I really straddle those worlds. Um, So drdianahill.com, you can find all of that. Awesome. And you also have, you mentioned the journal and then did I see you also have some type of cards or something to help people incorporate act? Yeah, we have a card deck. So again, for those that aren't journalers (laughs) and actually want to just pull a card a day, uh, we have Debbie Sorensen, my co-author and I have a card deck that goes through the six core processes of act. And then it just has like a little daily suggestion. So Folks, I'll, you know, I'll say, okay, pull this in the morning, put it on your dashboard or put it on your computer, put it on your mirror, and it will give you a psychological flexibility to practice just for today, like a small little step that you can do for today. And that's the Act Daily card deck. That's cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, I, just the idea of cards, because I don't feel like I'm a journaler. I, when yeah. I hear journal, I'm like, no. Right. <laughs> I just immediately feel off put, which maybe if I did it, I wouldn't feel that way. But um, yeah, the card deck really, I thought was a cool idea. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today and for teaching me so many new things. And we all look forward to connecting you, connecting with you off air, looking into that card deck, following your podcast. Uh, Just thank you so much for being here. Thanks. This was fun. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.